I would ask that you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be looking at chapter 5 and finishing up on this story of Jesus healing this man who is possessed by demons. Last week we considered verses 1 to 13 and this week we will look at verses 14 to 20. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word beginning in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met Him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind Him any more, not even with a chain. For He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but He wrenched the chains apart, and He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue Him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to these pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. And they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to go. Said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Now the earthly ministry of Jesus never failed to elicit reactions. We see this last week in the reaction of these demons. They reacted in terror recognizing who Jesus was, right? the Son of the Most High God. And so they reacted in terror, knowing that one day Jesus, by the breath of His mouth, will cast them into eternal torment forever. And they were hoping, they were hoping that that day of reckoning had not come. But then we've also seen the reaction of these crowds, those from Galilee 
and those from Judea and Jerusalem. And they've had a much different reaction to the ministry of Jesus, didn't they? It was one of excitement. But this was because they didn't know who Jesus was. Nor did they really care to know who He was. They had heard or they had seen His miraculous works and they wanted that for themselves or for others that they knew. Also, you have the reaction of the Pharisees who reacted out of bitterness and with accusations and hatred and ignorance. They said, how can this man declare himself Lord of the Sabbath? How can he forgive sins and yet at the same time dine with sinners and not follow our man-made tradition right? that was, uh, that was the tradition of the religious elite of the time? Right? But not every reaction to Jesus, though, was a negative reaction, was it? We have the reaction of the disciples who gave up everything they knew, their job, their livelihood, their family, their friends, their town. All of that. But that is because they reacted in faith. They reacted in faith upon hearing the Gospel, upon seeing what Jesus did or hearing of His works. And so when Jesus came to them and said, follow Me, they did. They did. Now even after the death and resurrection of Jesus, these negative reactions continued to persist. Right, all you have to do is open up the, the book of Acts and read through the, that history book of the early church and see what happened. Right? Peter, Paul, Silas, all in prison for proclaiming Christ. You see Stephen and you see James both murdered for proclaiming Christ. Right? The disciples are constantly bouncing from city to city, running from the angry mobs. And unfortunately, these angry, rebellious, hate-filled reactions to Christ and the Gospel continue to persist today. And I'm sure we've all seen those angry reactions, haven't we? Right? If you've ever witnessed to someone, whether that's at your work or a family member or a friend or someone on the street, you've probably been the recipient of an angry and hostile reaction. And yet, isn't it eye-opening to see that? How infuriated people get with the name of Christ how agitated they are upon hearing the Gospel, although they proclaim to not believe the Gospel or not believe in Jesus. And yet, they get so angry upon hearing His name and hearing the Gospel proclaimed. But we understand why, don't we? Because people love the darkness. They love the darkness. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, we're told this, Christ, who is the light, came into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works be exposed. You see, people react angrily to Jesus and to the Gospel because they love their life the way it is. They don't want it to be changed. They don't want it to be upset. They don't want it to be uprooted. Right? They don't want to hear that the manner in which they live is wrong. And in that it's an affront to the holiness of God. And one day they're going to have to stand before Him and give an account for what they say and what they do. They don't want to hear that they must repent and believe if they ever want to dwell in the presence of Almighty God. Right? They hate this message because they don't want to lose their autonomy. They don't want to lose their freedom. They don't want to lose their lifestyle. They don't want the message because they don't want to risk losing friends or family or social acceptance. 
And what a deeply saddening reality this is, isn't it, brothers and sisters? For in one sense or in one way, all of us were in that same position that these people were in. And so we understand what the ends are for those people who continue to reject the grace of our Lord and Savior. And this is why we want people to hear and to believe so badly. Because faith comes by hearing. And it is through the proclamation of the Gospel that Jesus is pouring out His grace and compassion upon this world, even today. That grace and that compassion that many of us here have come to know. That grace and that compassion that has transformed us and caused us and caused in us a reaction that we could not generate on our own. And this is how we can know that we are His. Right? How we react to the grace and the compassion of Christ. Right? Do we react in a hostile and angry way to the Word of God when it is read to us? Or do we react as a Christian ought to in faith and love and obedience and gratitude to His every word? And it's these different reactions of the people in our text here today in response to the compassion of Christ that we're going to look at. And so we're going to look at verses 14 to 20 under three three headings this morning. And so the first point is that we're going to look at the reaction of the onlookers. The reaction of the onlookers. The second is the reaction of the healed man. The reaction of the healed man. And the third then is what our reaction should be. What our reaction should be. So the reaction of the onlookers then. Now you'd think, brothers and sisters, wouldn't you, that upon the healing of this demon-possessed man, that all of the citizens of that city would be overjoyed with happiness. Wouldn't you think so? Right? This man who they had to live amongst, who was a madman, was now freed from those tears. And we don't know how long they had to live with this man. And they tried everything they could to, to bind this man, and they couldn't. Right? He, he broke their shackles. He broke their chains. Every day they had to live with hearing him cry out and scream. He cut himself with stones. This had to be a, a scary figure for all of those living in that town. You can imagine, can't you? The parents saying to their children, don't go over where that guy is and go play. Stay far away from him. And now Jesus has removed this terror that the city has been living with by driving these demons out and permitting them to go on the pigs. And you think that the reaction of the people would be one of gratitude. And yet, it was one of ingratitude, wasn't it? Instead of thankfulness, it was unthankfulness. Now, the first thing that we read in our text that happens when Jesus drives out these pigs is that the herdsmen flee into the city to go tell people what happened. And if we stopped right there, if we stopped at verse 14, we would probably all think, well, that makes a lot of sense, right? They are running to go tell everyone about what they've just seen. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, is in their midst performing these great miracles. Right? You, you would think they would be telling everyone, come, come and see Him. Come give thanks to Him. Come believe in Him. Right? That would be the proper reaction. That would be the proper reaction that we would give to someone, an important figure who comes into our presence. Right? I mean, think about how we might react when an when a important person comes into our presence. When they come into our 
city or our town or our state. I can remember as a small child, the president one time driving past our street that I lived on, him and the whole motorcade, and the whole you know street, we all came out and stood on our lawns to wave at him, hoping that we can get a peek inside or that he would roll down the window and wave back, right? That's, that's usually the reaction that people have. You're, you're honored that an important person would come into your midst, that would be in your presence. He would kind of grace you with, your, with his presence. And so that's kind of the reaction that we would get. But this is not the reaction the herdsmen gave. This is not why they ran into the city to tell the people about it. It wasn't to tell people, come and see Jesus Christ. Come and worship at His feet. Look at the miraculous works He has done. Come and give Him thanks for what He has done. Give Him honor. Give Him praise. No, they ran into the city because they were terrified of what they see. And as the herdsmen of these pigs, they didn't want to be blamed for what just happened. They wanted to make sure that the blame fell on Jesus. He's the reason these pigs are gone, not us. And so the people from the city come and they come to see what happens. And what do they find? They find this demon-possessed man, this uncontrollable figure, now calm and controlled. And you think their response would be to praise Jesus, to bow down at His feet and to worship Him, or to go and see if this man who is just cleansed of these demons is alright. But what do we find them doing? They beg Jesus to leave. They beg Jesus to leave. And isn't this the reaction that we see throughout our world today? People begging Jesus to leave. Leave our schools. Leave our town squares. Leave our government. Leave our homes. People don't want anything to do with the name of Jesus. They don't want to hear about Him in any part of our society. They've become angry and resentful of Him because they hate the exclusive message of Christ. They hate hearing that He is the only way to salvation. They say, how awful a message. You think you have the monopoly on salvation. What a terrible thing. They hate hearing the law of God. That there is this perfect standard of righteousness. And they hate God's law because it's opposed to their own law. Isn't it? It's opposed to their own manner of living. And so in order to to quell their own consciences, they want to remove any notion of God's law from society, don't they? They say, Christian, if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if this is your religion, keep it to yourself. Let that be a personal thing. Or just go worship Him on Sunday. But nobody else wants to hear about it. And resentment and anger towards Christ are both evident in our text today. As we see these people and their reaction, they just want Jesus to leave them alone because He has cost them too much already. They lost 2,000 pigs, which was food for them, which was money in their pockets if they were able to sell them. And Jesus just arrives on the scene and the first thing He does is lose them all of their possessions. These 2,000 pigs are lost because of Jesus' arrival. And so what do they want Him to do? They want Him to go. Because those pigs were of greater value to them than Christ and what He brought. And isn't that the difficulty that we face in our country today? We're a people living in a country where we don't have to want for much. 
Most people have more than they could ever need. And yet a lot of times, that is a hindrance to Christ. That is a hindrance to coming to Christ. Not because people have a lot. It's because they love what they have. And they can't see themselves giving it up. Right? This was the issue with the rich young ruler, was it not? Not that he was rich, but that he loved his riches and did not want to give them up. This is why Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to get through, the, get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to the kingdom of God. Why is that? It's because possessions and earthly goods become idols to us. We become attached to them. We want to accumulate more of them. And they become an impediment to our faith. The possession of earthly goods for far too many is more valuable to them than Christ is. And a part of that reason, I think, is because we see possessions and goods as our own. It is what I worked for. I did it with my hands, with my strength, and my intelligence. They belong to me. I'm deserving of them. And so people get angry and resentful when you say, well, in fact, all things belong to God. Anything that you have, you are owing to Him. Right, we see this in King Nebuchadnezzar, don't we? He looks out and sees his great kingdom. And he says, look what I did. This is my might. This is my strength. I did all of this. And what does the Lord do? Takes it all away from him. To show him he had no hand in it at all. It was all of grace. And thankfully, for King Nebuchadnezzar's sake, he repented and turned to the Lord. But this was not the reaction of the people here in our text today. The loss of their livestock did not cause them to see their need for repentance. It did not draw them to their knees in prayer to Christ or in belief to Christ, but rather all it did was to serve to harden them even more. And yet this was not the only reaction we see in our text today. We also have the reaction of this man who was possessed by legion. And this takes us to point number two then, the reaction of the healed man. We read in verse 18, as he or as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I want you to look at the response of this man. This is the only response a Christian ought to have in reaction to the grace and the compassion of God. We want to be with Christ. We want more of Christ. We want fellowship with Christ. We want to know the mind of Christ. We want more knowledge of Christ. We want to dwell in the presence of Christ. The right reaction is saying, where you are is where I want to be. Wherever you go is where I want to go. Brothers and sisters, this is why we want heaven, not for heaven's sake. We want heaven because that is where Christ is. Wherever Christ is, is where His people should want to be. Right? This was the reaction of the disciples in John chapter 6. If you remember, some disciples left Jesus after hearing some hard teachings. And in verse 68, Jesus turns to the twelve and says to them, Do you want to leave me as well? And Peter, as the spokesman of the disciples, says what? 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is that the point that each one of us are at here today? Do you desire Christ as much as this man in this story did? He begged, we're told. He begged Christ. You can imagine what that begging might have looked like. Please, Jesus, please, let me come with you. Please, Jesus, don't leave me here alone. I need you. Where you are is where I want to be. Do we need Jesus as much as this man needed Jesus? You could probably gauge the answer to that question by asking yourselves, do you daily beg Jesus in prayer? Do you daily beg Him for more understanding as you read His Word, knowing that He alone has the words of eternal life? Or do we forsake the voice of Christ? Do we forsake Him for news anchors, for cartoons, for sports announcers on a daily basis? Right? Depending on how you answer that question, you know if you desire Christ like this man desired Christ. And yet, what, what happens? What do we read happens? In the beginning of verse 19, we're told that although this man responded perfectly, he begged Christ that he might come with him, Jesus does not permit him. He doesn't permit him. If that isn't a complete shattering of the myth that Jesus gives us whatever we want as believers, I don't know what is. And yet I also want you to see something that's very important here. Not only does Jesus not give the believer what he wants, he does give the unbeliever what they want. Doesn't that seem backwards to the Christian? Jesus doesn't give the man who responded in faith and obedience what he asked for, but he gave the unbelievers who rejected his grace and compassion exactly what they wanted. You see, Jesus will give grace And Jesus will give opportunity because He's compassionate and He's kind and He's long-suffering. But there will come a time for those who continue to harden their hearts against Him that He will close eyes, shut ears, harden hearts, and remove His presence. And yet, before that occurs, He gives us chance after chance after chance, doesn't He? We are living proof of that here, aren't we? Thanks be to God that He just doesn't cast us aside at the first sign of rejection. Because for many of us, it took many years, many times of hearing the Gospel before we trusted in Christ, didn't it? We, though, aren't like that, are we? As soon as someone offends us, we cast them off, want nothing to do with them. They get one shot and that's it. But what a shameful behavior that is. What shameful behavior that is. We have no right to do that. For we are oftentimes not the offended, but the offenders. We are just as guilty as others. And yet think about it. God, not creature but creator, not the offender, never the offender, always the offended. And what does He do? He sends His Son to the world that He might extend grace and compassion to sinners. And this is what Jesus does in our text today. Although He gives in one sense the people exactly what they want because He leaves, He also still shows grace and compassion to the angry mob 
by not allowing this new disciple to leave with him, but to stay and proclaim what Christ has done. Right here is another chance that Christ extends to sinners. Another opportunity to hear the gospel and be reminded of the radical transformation Christ can perform in the life of those who are overtaken by darkness. And from Jesus' response and this man's reaction, we can learn a lot. And this takes us then to our third and final point this morning, which is what our reaction should be. In verse 19, we read that Jesus says to this man, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now there are two things that I want us to see and take with us this morning. The first is that our reaction to Christ's compassion should be a grateful one. Our reaction to Christ's compassion should be a grateful one. We should have an attitude of gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Not ungratefulness like these onlookers had, but gratefulness like this man, this healed man, should emanate from us in everything that we do so that God would be glorified. Especially when we consider the depths of our own spiritual darkness and depravity, knowing that it is only by God's grace that we have been driven to Christ by faith because of His compassion and not driven further away by our own rebellion. You see, it was gratitude that was the reason that this man did not pout and get angry with Jesus because he wouldn't let him go in the boat. He was just happy to belong to the Lord. A grateful heart responds with joy and delight and doing whatever God would have us to do and being wherever God would have us to be. And I know this isn't always the easiest thing, which is why we need to cultivate more of that grateful spirit by daily giving thanks. Right? When we give thanks, we are reminding ourselves of the works God has done. Right? Reminding ourselves the price that Christ has paid. And when we have that clear understanding of how thankful we should be every day, then when Christ puts us somewhere, even if it's not where we want to be, we will be grateful. Right? This man wanted to go with Christ. Christ told him, no, I need you here. And because he was so grateful for what Christ had done to him, he stayed and was obedient without complaint. We need to be constantly, daily, giving thanks for this helps us to readily submit to God's will. So let us do exactly what Paul commands of the church in Thessalonica when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now the second point I want you to see and take with you is this. That not all of us have to feel like we need to teach others. Or that we need to know in detail every doctrine of the Christian faith. But what all of us who have experienced the compassion of Christ must do is tell others what he has done. Right? This man in our story probably lived in the city. People would have known him. He might have had a wife, children, a mom, a dad, friends. And now imagine what it must have been like for them to see this man healed. Imagine the profound effect of hearing what Jesus did for him could have had on them. And shouldn't our appreciation for what Christ has done almost force that out of us to begin with? Right? As a Christian, you should have a hard time keeping in what Christ has done. 
Think about how you react when a great gift is given to you. Right? You tell others about it. Maybe you post it on social media for friends to see. Well, what do you think our reaction ought to be for the greatest gift of all that we receive, which is salvation in Jesus Christ? Right? This man was compelled by Christ's compassion to tell people how much the Lord has done for him and how he had mercy on him. Right? His family and his friends and his local town, that was his missionary field. Right? So often we think of missions as as going to foreign lands. And we forget that we do missions here at home as well. In fact, at home is where missions begins. This is why if you are a believer here today, those around you ought to know it. Because your faith isn't something you keep secret or something that's just deeply personal. No, Jesus says we're to, not to keep it to ourselves, but to share it with others. Right? Share with others what God has done for you and how He has showed you mercy. Is this what you do? Or do your friends not even know that you're a Christian? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that you don't need a master's degree or a doctorate in order to tell people what Christ did for you. You know what He did. You've experienced the transformation. You've believed the gospel. Those were the only two pieces Christ told this man to proclaim. Right? Proclaim what happened to you and tell them of Christ's mercy. And we can all do that, can't we? We can all tell people about the free grace of God, can we not? And this is an important part of telling or emphasizing. Not what we did for ourselves, right? That's not what Jesus directs this man to say. That's not what Jesus directs this man to say. But rather, to tell others of the free grace of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus says, tell your friends what the Lord did, not what we did. I know initially this can be nerve-wracking, especially because we can be intimidated to speak, or we can be scared about the angry response we might receive. But none of this matters, because this is what we are called to do as Christians. And out of gratitude, we are to do it, no matter how uncomfortable it may make us feel. And so what do we do to help ourselves to be more open with family and friends about Christ? Well, I think Acts 4 is a perfect example. You know, after Peter and John were arrested for preaching Christ, we're told that they were threatened and then let go by the leaders there. And they gathered with the other believers, we're told that in verse 29, and they started praying this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see, we must turn to the Lord and pray. Prayer for boldness is key if you are ever going to muster the courage to tell others about what God has done. So pray. And if you're lacking in anything, pray and Christ will provide. So as we draw to a close then, remember these, these two reactions that we ought to have. Right? First is we ought to have gratitude in response to the grace and compassion of God. Right? Grateful that God has raised us from death to life and counts the salvation of our souls as precious. And then in response, having experienced deliverance from Satan and the bondage of sin, let us react by telling others about God's grace and compassion and mercy. And yet let us do it through much prayer and in the boldness of the Lord. Please, if you will, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, 
We are so grateful for your grace and for your compassion this day. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to shower us with that grace and compassion. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, guide us into all truth, that we would not be ashamed or scared to proclaim your word today. Uh, We pray, Father, for those who have a reaction in which they beg you to leave. We pray, Lord, that you would grant to them salvation and that you would give us opportunity to proclaim your gospel. And we ask all this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.